Welcome to Mastering Data, where we sit down with inspirational leaders in data and IT to hear their interesting career journeys and lessons learned. Each episode is packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. So, whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, join us and get ready to take your data skills to the next level. Welcome to the Mastering Data Podcast, the show where we explore the stories and experiences of extraordinary individuals making a significant impact in the data analytics field. I'm your host, Adam Morton, and today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Chantal Valesque. Chantal, you're a strategy and governance executively in high-performance teams to deliver large, scale, complex, and data-driven transformations. You've got over 20 years of experience across consultant and financial services, including companies such as Westpac, CBA, and Suncorp. Today, however, Chantal, you're the program director at iCare, who provides insurance and care services to business, people, and communities of New South Wales. So welcome to the podcast, Chantal. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me today. All good. So I want to start at the beginning. This is where I usually start. And obviously, you weren't born in Australia or grew up in Australia. So could you tell me a little bit about your journey in terms of where you grew up? And I also noticed that you went to the UK to do a master's at Sheffield as well. So it'd be great just to understand that journey um, in the early formative years in terms of going for university, getting to Australia. I know that you worked in Paris as well early on in your career. So it'd be great just to hear how you ended up in Australia. Oh, long story. <laughs> um, I was born in the southwest of France in some very normal childhood countryside girl. Straight away, I was attracted to math, physics. That's what I studied. And then went to Bordeaux Uni, studied economics. The university there is very much, the degree is very much based on statistics over the tricky calculations you can make. And that's really what interested me really in the, in the degree. And then I thought it was a bit theoretical. So I moved to do a management master. So I was a bit of everything, finance, accounting, master. And I had the opportunity to go on an exchange program with Sheffield Hallam University. So I didn't do the full master there. I just did six months, but it was a fascinating experience. Actually, I always wanted to speak English as kids. So I could sing along when I was hearing, you know, (laughs) super fancy songs. And uh, so that was one of my dreams. I really wanted to be on site and, and learn how to speak English properly. Came back to France, finished my study. So I have uh, the name is DESS. It's a little bit like a PhD, but more practical, super hands-on with uh, management and finance. Sounds better than a PhD finance. already. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, super interesting. A lot of international finance. So already I was really attracted to something else than just the, the French ecosystem. And then I started to look for a job and I had the choice. I could be an accountant, but I thought it was a bit boring. Sorry, accountants <laughs> listening. And I wanted to do something a bit different. And actually for my internship in the last year of studies, I was using this reporting business intelligence tool to in the, with a finance team I was with. And I really enjoyed it and navigating the software and getting the numbers I wanted and getting them presented in a fancy ways to, to drive a message already attracted me. So um, straight away, I looked for a job in a, as a consulting company on this software. So it was business subjects. So um, the thing is in Bordeaux, the market is a bit small in terms of getting new jobs. They're a bit limited. So I went to Paris. It was much easier, big companies. Yeah. Yeah, France is very centralized on the yeah. work market. So 
went there with my husband and then, yeah, started the journey there, started with these guys. We had one email address for all of us. <laughs> uh, when I started, I didn't even have a mobile phone. I had a pager. So it was different. It's so different. Yeah. And after a little while, I really got into the software and I got really good at the technical aspect of it. Some the business objects guys poached me because I was working in partnerships or with them on some of the accounts. So um, they hired me and business subjects at the time was really interesting because it was a startup. It was 10 mm. years old. And this was so, about 20 years ago, Chantal? I was in 2000. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, a long time ago, but it was, we were all super young and uh, we were working hard, playing hard. It was, it was a really good period. Learned a lot about you know, the technical aspects, I became uh, really good at installing softwares and we didn't have VMware at the time. Mm -hmm. So we had to go to the machine rooms and put the CD in the box <laughs> and install yeah. everything. Those were the days. So that was good fun, really enjoyed it. And then we started with my husband, we started to think about going overseas. So we looked at options. He was working for a software company as well as a consultant. And he was traveling all around Europe. I was traveling all around France. And we thought, we're going to have to go somewhere where we can have kids in a good lifestyle. And at the end of the day, it took us three years. We had different opportunities with Australia, but we ended up sticking to the plan. We never lost hope and, um, and we ended up here. Thanks to Key encounters with people is just, you know, you put your little things here and there. You're saying, oh, you know, I would be interested and, and people are talking and then they come back and you got opportunities. That's how it happened, really. Awesome. And I, am I right in thinking that when you went back to France recently, you met up with some of your business objects colleagues from yes. way back? And how was that? And what are they doing now? Oh, they're all in the data space. Oh, so they stayed oh, there? Yes. I think only one, we were 20 consultants at the time. I was the only female. And they're, they're a little bit like brothers. It's, it's just really good. So I stay in touch with many of them across the years. But some of them I met in Paris last month had been 20 years since our mm, last wow. encounter. So that was amazing. It's just the solidarity we were such a small team at the time we really had to have each other's back so it was brilliant yeah everybody's in ai generative ai <laughs> software companies but 20 years ago it wasn't that sexy right it wasn't no. the thing right you know yeah. that it is today there was no facebook no google and yes. that stuff you know so it was great that you got in at such a time when you had a close team that backed each other up and had a really good experience that kind Absolutely. of kept you, kept you involved in that space. Because we ended up in some small little towns in France where there was nothing around, just a little hotel. So we were staying there for all week and it was like nothing to do. So we really had to be super close <laughs> yeah. and really good friends. Awesome. So then you get to, to Australia, you know, you, you mentioned you followed that plan and no doubt there was a, <laughs> that was a bit of a roller coaster to get here. But once you got here, then you, you, you kind of stuck to the technical kind of background. It looks like you did some stuff here when you got here in Oakton around kind of Microsoft and it's still within business intelligence and kind of totally. broadened that horizon. So I guess when you got here, it was a conscious decision to stay in that space, stay quite technical, look after business intelligence teams. And well, was it a conscious yes. decision? And, and yeah. did you still kind of enjoy 
that role when you got to yes. Australia? Yes. So it was a choice. And the other thing is I got my visa initially based on my skills. Okay. So not your husband's side? Or it was no, that side? was okay. me. It was a beach bum at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're living in Bondi, so we're surfing okay. quite a lot. Um, Sounds but, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I stick to the plan. That was, I think, technically speaking, at that time, I was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was easier for me to fit in. And I knew all the terms. It was easier to tackle it from a technology perspective. So I probably didn't have a business background I needed from the Australian culture perspective mm. and how we do business here in Australia yeah. compared to France. Well, what are those differences I was going to ask you when you, you came from France to Australia all those years ago? Mm. Was it a struggle in terms of that transition? So you mentioned the technical bit that was quite seamless and easy for you because yes. you had that experience. What about the culture side of things? I wouldn't say a shocker. It was very different. It's interesting because we think our culture are quite similar and the values, but some things like the body language is very different. Reaction towards when something goes wrong. Frenchies can be very confrontational. (laughs) But in Australia, we we tend to avoid the conflicts or try to find a workaround and not be in your face as much. That's a little bit of that. Uh, from business and then on the business intelligence perspective, I think we were a bit behind here mm. at the time. So I think it's very different now. But at the time when I arrived, we were doing a lot of reporting here, like reporting on things that happened in the past, not looking so much at dashboards and predictive reporting. Yeah. And why in France, because we had access to these softwares before, Australia, it was easier. We could get up to speed on the technology really fast. And Business Objects initially was a a French company. So Mm. one of the headquarters was in Paris. So we were working close to the R&D people as well. So we knew about this thing. So it was easier for us to talk to our customers and look at their need for this technology or what kind of problems we we wanted to solve. Well, I think here we were more doing standard reporting at the time. Let's just bring the listeners up to date then in terms of your career, because after that, the trajectory changes to really big organizations like yes. household names within Australia. You also go down the less technical routes. So, so far, you've mentioned mm. into numbers, into, you know, did some stats and, and, and background that really attracted you and you got quite technical. Then you move on to Suncorp and CBA and Westpac, and you go into less, what appears less technical roles, portfolio program management roles, Again, was that a plan? Was that organic? How did that come about? Did you get to a point in your career where you hit a ceiling in the technical roles and you had to move away? Because that's how it reached to me, but I might be completely wrong. That's such a good question. Yes, it was organic, but I think it was was a natural thing. I didn't plan it. But for me, when I look back, it makes sense. So um, uh, with Octon, the, the more I was progressing within the company, the more my roles was into people management, team leader kind of role and on side with customers was project management. So Octon supported me really well, actually. He became a, a PM, look at my training. And then the, the critical pivotal moment really was uh, this participation into Females in IT and Telecommunication Mentoring Program. Mm-hmm. And so Octon enrolled me into the program and uh, I met the guy who has been my mentor for more than 10 years. So it was officially assigned to be my mentor within the program, but we clicked. So his name is Bruce Weir. He passed away last year, unfortunately. Mm. I'm so grateful I had the chance to have him in my life for more than 10 years. 
And he's the one who really challenged me in terms of asking the tough questions. And uh, he never told me what to do, but he really pushed me to figure out what I wanted to do. And actually, I was doubting myself as a PM and and he proved to myself that, you know, that I, I was doing it. And already as a mom, as a wife, as a consultant, I was already doing what's required from a PM. So I got this self-confidence. And the other thing with Octon at the time, most of my customers were uh, working on data warehouses where I was super attracted to big data and new technologies. Mm, yeah. And um, the other thing, most of my customers were waterfall and I really wanted to focus on agile. So I reached that point where I was thinking of living and, and consultant as well. But the other thing, my kids were young and uh, I was moving around Sydney. Um, I needed something a bit more stable. So that was a natural point. And, uh, and Bruce at that time introduced me to uh, a number of people in his network, including people at Suncorp head of BI at the time who hired me. So that's mm. the story. And Suncorp was fully agile and was working on the big data on setting up a big data platform. So it was perfect timing. That was that was the shift, massive shift. Yeah. And so let's just talk about Bruce in a bit more detail because I always ask a question about mentorship mm. and the role that mentors play. Obviously he had a massive influence over ten years. After yeah. you met him, you you left the company where yes. you met him and so you carried on that relationship. Yes. What would you say the the things, the top sort of three things that he introduced you to that you think kind of accelerated your career growth or, or how you approached life and perspective in general? Yes, I think what he, he Top me was first thing is be curious, right? Don't stay in your in your little pad and just look at what's happening around you and and open your eyes and and that's how opportunities will arise in your career. It really challenged me. That, that's the thing. He never told me, give me the answers. That mm. was quite often he left me with a critical question. I had to think about it, and it was great to step back when you you in your daily job activities. You flat out you don't think about about that. And he made a point that I needed to take time to myself and, you know, away from the kids, the job, <laughs> everything, and think about what was important to me and where I wanted to be in the next couple of years. So that was very brilliant. The other thing he did that was amazing, it was not just a mentor, but he was a champion for me. So um, he was talking highly of me, he was introducing me to people, key influencers in his network, and that made a big, big difference because quite often you have a mentor, but it stops there. But mm. just the, the champion component of it is so important, yeah. I believe. Did you ever find out why he did that for you, what his motivation was? Did he just get enjoyment from it or did he see something in you early on where he, he could see that potential in you where maybe you didn't recognize it yourself? I think he had a sense for it. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people here who can uh, say the same thing about Bruce. He was really into developing people and he was such a great human being in that sense. He was assuming positive intent systematically, but you didn't want to lose his trust. That was uh, very charismatic. So, um, I think it was in his genes. He, he always been helping people around or people who had problems or doing some coaching in pockets uh, within Suncorp and, and mentoring other people as well. It's really inspiring for me because I'm getting a bit older now and I don't want to be like him. I want to give back as well mm. as he did. I think I was very lucky to benefit from his wisdom. So now I just hope I can share a little bit of 
yeah. wisdom and myself. Forward, yeah, in your, <laughs> yes. own, in your own way. Yeah. And so that took it Suncorp. And then when you move on to CBA, Westpac, and today I care, there's a lot of words around remediation. So you're like the fixer, right? So as the BT Advice Remediation Program, the group customer remediation at Westpac, and then today at iCare, you're looking after the McDougall review and the recommendations. Are you looking for those areas that you can get in and fix and, and where there's gaps and, and that you can add value? Because it seems like that's a common theme, certainly over the last you know, three, four, five years in, in your career from what I can see. It's so funny because I reflected on that last year when I had I was on my little curry break because I didn't realize I didn't do it on purpose but I think people see this thing in me that you know <laughs> I can come over and fix problems or be a problem solver so I take it as a compliment but I think what is attracting me to these roles as well is the, the, the purpose so with CBA did a lot of things for CBA but the, the one I really you know, left a mark on me is the financial crime program. The difference we are making in people's life was unbelievable. Mm. So obviously we're working hand in hand with Ostrack, but it wasn't just for compliance thing. We were really trying to, to look at better ways to stop uh, money laundering and, and counter terrorism activities, this kind of stuff. We were looking at really making an impact and Ostrack was really partner in this thing. They were coming to CBA from time to time, showing us, you know, what the, the impact of these activities we're having on people overseas and in Australia. And, and when you wake up in the morning, you want to do something about it, right? And, and Westpac was interesting as well. So the um, advice remediation program we did, so this time with ASIC, was all about the fee for no service when financial advisors were charging fees to mm. customers but not providing the, the advice. We we had some really good stories at the end. So it was a, a big success actually when we finished the, the program in um I think it was March um, 2022. The difference we made, we had some customers who wrote back after the fact and said, look, my mom was in a nursing home and we couldn't pay for it. And because you reimbursed, you did the right thing. Now we can pay for another year or something mm -hmm. like that. That's great. That's a great motivator. I think I didn't do it on purpose, but it ended up being this kind of thing. And iCare is amazing for that. The purpose, what we're trying to do, you know, serve the, the people of New South Wales when they're really in trouble. We're looking at people who are, you know, physical or mental challenges. That's a motivator. Yeah. I think the oldest I get, you know. The, yeah, and you want to make a difference. Yes, have a absolutely. positive impact, I guess, yeah. you know, and, and that probably gives you real real sense of satisfaction. I think you know, so. As opposed it's to just, creating a dashboard, yes. you know, you can actually impact people's lives. Look, and yeah, with iCare, we always go back to how do you make a difference for the people who serve. So that's that's key to, obviously, the schemes, focus comp and, and all the schemes in place, but also for the, the enabling functions, the supporting functions like program delivery or, or IT or data and analytics. It's always what kind of difference we're going to make in the yeah. end. That brings us up to date in terms of the career history, but just jumping back a, a little bit, you know, you've had a long career with demand and jobs, big household names, but you've also got two children. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you were juggling a lot of things. You were looking for more stability during those early days in Suncorp. How did you balance that? And what does that look like today? And what advice would you give to other women who have young children looking to kind of really work full time with, with these companies in demand and in challenging roles. How did you manage to do that? What advice would you give those people looking back now? 
Look, I think we can have it all, but probably not everything at the same time. The key thing for me, why I was able to do all these things is because I have a supportive partner. So my husband is really hands-on. He was looking after the kids as, as well as I was doing it. But I think you cannot do it alone. That's a given. So maybe your family, your friends, your partner, you really need someone to help. And very much consider that if it's important for you, you really then need to support you for you to have a go. That's the key thing. I don't think I'm overly ambitious, but but there were things I needed to to do in terms of networking or learning. And I'm very curious. I cannot stay at home just feeding my kids. Sure. And uh, uh, after four months when my first son was born, I was over it. I wanted to talk about something else than nappies and bottles. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to talk about, I don't know, international problems or whatever, mm. but I needed to use my brain. And, you know, and I started to do some stats on actually his weight gain and uh, at what time he oh, was yeah. having his bottles <laughs> and all that stuff. So I built my little access database and was doing predictive <laughs> analytics so it's just that's me i need to be like that and uh, and from really early days my kids understood that to to have a mom that is like the best mom ever i needed to do my work and have my little patch and yeah. and uh, and my friends and connecting I'm, I'm a very social animal so that was for them to have the best of me i needed to have this time and space for myself. Sure. And, and originally, you know, one of your reasons for coming to Australia was to to start a family and give them a, a good lifestyle. Yes. How's that worked out looking back now? Because oh, fabulous. Two children. <laughs> and how old are they now? What are their names? 18 and 14. Two boys, Luca and Alexi. They never lived in France, so they cannot compare really. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think they have a great life, to be honest. We live not far from the beach and, you know, they have this dual citizenship, dual culture. It's a great thing for them going forward. We speak French at home, so that's oh, why wow. I will never lose my, my super strong accent. They speak fluent French as well? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. So they went to, um, I mean, they, the little ones still going to the French school in Marubra. Yeah, I think they feel really Australian mm. now. So my, my oldest son, Luca, is the captain of the Australian under-18 team in European handball. Wow. So nothing to do with what you do at recess. It's like proper handball. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like water polo, but, you know, on a court. Yeah. So he, he's feeling extremely Australian. So he okay. will never play for France. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think. I think that's an Olympic sport as well. It, it is. So his aim is to go to the Brisbane Olympics in 2032. Oh, yeah. That's not far away. So he will, will be 27. Well, good luck yeah. to, to Luca on that yes. endeavor. That'll be great. Well, one other thing I wanted to touch upon, uh, I noticed it in the tagline of your LinkedIn profile, which says driving the diversity agenda. You've done some stuff with women at work as well. Obviously, coming to Australia such a long time ago, I guess 20 years ago, the workplace probably looked a little different than it is today in terms of the gender kind of makeup. What are you doing in that space? How are you helping others? And again, what advice would you give to, you know, if there's listeners out there who are early on in their career, recently graduated mm. from university as young women in the field or want to break into the technical field. Hopefully it's easier for them now than it was then, but I'm sure there's a range of improvements that are yes. still not there. So I would love to get your views on that and kind of the work that you've done in that space. Oh, look, that's a, that's a super broad question and we can talk about it for a long, long time. <laughs> I'm a tomboy, <laughs> but I started, uh, I'm lucky I got a big sister and there's never been this kind of boys and girls thing when I grew up. So my parents from day one, 
thought of but us, but we could do anything. It's just gender was not a problem. You know, we could be ambitious, we could do whatever. I think that was a good starting point. And uh, I never felt uncomfortable with a room full of guys. Mm. I don't care. Mm. It's just, I never had to face any kind of obvious problem with with my gender, but it's a bit more underneath the layers mm. you have. I think things are changing a lot now. We can call it out much easier now. Yeah, maternity leaves, all the support that the companies are putting in place, that's just amazing. That's what we needed, right? Probably still need to talk about superannuation and what the, the problem mm. of, you know, not having super when you break for your mat leave and the impact later on. But look, we're on the right track. There are things happening. What I think I've been super involved um, in, in a number of, actually with most of the companies I work with. So um, yeah, so at CBI, I was in the Women in Enterprise Services team. We were doing mentoring. Westpac was in the executive committee uh, for women in, in Westpac. So we, we're putting all these things in place, mentoring and, you know, sessions with the women so they can speak up. But I think for me, the key differentiator will be getting male allies to push and promote. Mm. And I'll go back to this role of champion. So we need more champions for women as well. Yeah. So, you know, you cannot convince the women. You can talk to them. They're already convinced we need to do better for them, <laughs> right? But we need to convince the guy that it's too their benefit as well. I think it's where that was my message all these years and uh, I keep pushing. I think we're getting there, but it's, it's way too slow. I was really pleased last week or two weeks ago, the, the Nobel Prize for Economics was given to a woman who's done some studies on the reasons for the gender pay gap and what we can do to to help. So I still need to read all the, uh, the papers around it, but I thought it was, it was key that we got this recommendation there and in economics, not in something specific mm. to women. Yeah. I think it's really important that we're going broader and reaching more people to, to highlight the importance of yeah, equality. Yeah. One thing I'm intrigued in terms of your leadership style and the culture mm. that you try to develop within eye care today, you seem after meeting you for 20, 25 minutes, a very human-centric person, very empathetic to others and, and want to give back to, to other people and mm -hmm. make a bigger impact than just yourself and even just your own teams. How would others describe your leadership style within your team today, do you think? And what kind of culture and values do you seem to want to kind of put in place or I care mm. within your teams today? I think I'm very outcome-focused. So you that that's I know what we have to deliver, what kind of outcomes we need to get to, what kind of problems we want to solve. But I like to bring the the team on the journey with me. I don't think I can do it alone. Quite often what I'm saying to people in the team, you are the experts, what you're doing, I cannot do it, right? So I think I'm more into servant leadership. But the other thing is don't let me down. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want, I will have your back all the way, but don't let me down. It's just, we have to work together. We don't have time for noise or this kind of stuff. We have an objective. We need to get there. That's the what, but, but the how is super important to me. And when you're recruiting then to, to bring people into your team, whether you're directly involved mm -hmm. or, or you, you kind of um, guide in your team on what to look for from a values perspective. What kind of characteristics and traits do you look for in potential people who would be really valuable to your team and culture? 
you say you shouldn't hire people who are a little bit like you, but I, I, I like problem solvers. You know, people who are coming with answers, and uh, even if they're not expert, but they can try to be creative and bring ideas to the table. Doesn't mean extroverts necessarily. I have a, a you know really good introverts teammates and who are delivering fabulous things. So I think it's it's a bit of mix. What I really like when I, if I have to start a team from scratch, it's the diversity. I cannot have two people thinking the same it really has it's to be hard to do that though do you think to find one good people on the market and two ones that bring diversity because the more criteria that you add the harder it is yeah, to find that so sort of talent depends what you're hiring for right so if it's on the technology side if you need someone who knows i don't know snowflake or, or who's done machine learning before mm. you know it's very specific the attitude towards the, the problems and it's so important to me you can have a, a superstar but if it doesn't you know gel well with with the other team members yeah. that's going to be a disaster yeah. so I think the attitude bringing this kind of positivity and, and trying to solve problems, that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. And then I, I guess the area where I kind of want to wrap up our conversation is where do you see yourself in the next three to five years? And, and I noticed you had a career break recently mm. before joining IK. Yes. I'd love to understand what kind of insights and perspective you may have got with that time away from work after such a long period in the work arena, I guess. You had a career break for, what, six months? I'd love to know kind of what that brought to you in terms of mm. having that time to step back and how that's maybe has influenced one your decision to go to IK, but also where you see yourself kind of beyond yes. that point. So the career break, so I started it after we successfully completed successfully the, the advice remediation program at Westpac and it was just the end of COVID. And uh, even if at the moment during the COVID period, we did the whole program online, right? So, and we didn't miss a deadline. So it was pretty intense. And for an extrovert like me, I couldn't go out. I couldn't talk to people. And at the moment, I didn't realize the impact it had on me, but it really had. And, and I needed to stop a bit, reflect. And, and I thought it was, it was great timing. Uh, my oldest son, Soluka, uh, had French exams and he needed help to, to study. <laughs> and, uh, and I wanted to spend more time with, the boys just going out, not being in the house stuck or, you know, limited. And so the other thing is all parents are getting older. So I wanted to go back to France, spend quality time with them. So it had been three years since, you know, we, we saw them last. Yeah, I really wanted to have this time, went to Spain with my sister, spend time with my hub in Singapore. I really needed to have a, a little stop mm. and, and have a think about what was next. And then I wasn't too sure about next opportunities. And, you know, I talked to a number of companies. Sometimes I wasn't the right fit for them. Sometimes I thought, oh, I don't really want to do that. Mm. I think what's super important, what COVID made me realize is I really need to spend time with my kids now, but they still live with me. <laughs> so um, I don't want to work every single weekend, every single evening. I need to have time to, to enjoy life yeah. as well. I wanted to have this balance, find a, a job where I could see, you know, the objective. I was interested in the mission and the purpose, and I could use my skills as well. And actually, when IKEA hired me in the first place, it wasn't to do anything technology related. 
I was a program director role for the change program. Some of the projects under my portfolio were technology focused, but my role was pure program management. So it was refreshing a bit in a sense. And then that gave me time to reflect on what I'm interested in. And actually, I cannot stay away from data too long. So now we, we started a data governance and management program within IKN, obviously, I'm involved. <laughs> obviously, so yeah. that's, um, I don't think I can escape it. So um, look, I think what's next? I don't know, obviously, with everything that's happening in the Gen AI space. I care, I had massive opportunities in this space. So that could be an option. I think I cannot, you know, go to the end of my career without having touched it in more detail. So we did that a bit at CBA at the time, we're working on Pega decisioning. That was super interesting. I think doing a bit more work in this space awesome. would be interesting. That's great. Chantelle, you've been a, a great guest. I've had the privilege of, of being able to chat to you for the last sort of 30 minutes or so. And I think with your positive outlook and your kind of human-centric approach, I think whatever you do next will be a, you know, a massive success. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for, for coming in and talking to us today. Thanks so much, Adam. It was really enjoyable. Thanks for listening to Mastering Data. Hit follow to get future episodes packed with valuable insights and tips for those looking to excel in the world of data. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review to help others find the podcast.